0: Well, good morning, and may I add my welcome to that of John's. For those of you who don't know me, I'm uh, James Smith. I'm one of the ministers here. Uh, but several years ago, I was an accountant, and I specialised in finance functions of insurance companies. So some of my best friends were actuaries. There's a confession. Any actuaries in the house? No. I oh, how disappointing. Uh, and I had one of them who was a friend who one day sent me an email, and the email had a quiz attached to it. So rather intrigued, I opened it up and started answering questions. When was I born? Uh, How um, did I smoke? How much did I drink? And when I, further questions, and when I pressed done, then immediately a little counter appeared in the top right-hand corner of my computer screen. And it was counting down in years, months, days, hours, minutes, and even seconds until my expected death. (laughs) Actuarial humour. And I can tell you, it was rather difficult concentrating on my work when out of the corner of my eye, I could see my lifespan relentlessly reducing. And certain thoughts came to mind, questions such as, um, if I'd answered the quiz differently, you know, would I have any longer? to live. And also, um, what on earth am I doing this job for in the time I've got left? Well, I deleted it after a few minutes. I was just getting too anxious. And as we heard of today, can any of you by worry add a single hour to your life? We are looking at the subject of anxiety and it's antidote today as we continue our series on the sermon on the mount three times in this passage just read from us from Matthew's gospel Jesus tells his listeners don't worry so we have to take his words seriously but I know that as soon as I talk on this topic I enter a medical and psychological minefield I could tell that because of all the emails I got last time I preached on this topic so some comments right up front the first is that if you have a clinically diagnosed anxiety disorder then i'm not going to tell you that jesus said snap out of it god in his wisdom has provided pharmaceutical and psychological interventions that can assist you in your illness please continue with your treatment that is what the lord would want but having said that i'm sure you will find something useful in what i'm about to say And the second thing is, if you are anxious and you look at verse 25 and 31 and and 34 and read the words, don't worry, then it might make you even more anxious. You might be worried about being worried. So if I said to you without any sort of nuance that this command from Christ is uh, such that if you are worrying it's a sin, then I would be both cruel and wrong. Because worrying itself isn't inherently sinful. It all depends really on what you're worrying about. For instance, are you worried or concerned, would be a less emotive term, about being faithful, useful in your service of Christ. Then if you are, then you are in good company, because the Apostle Paul certainly was. He was worried about his churches and he said this in his second letter to the Corinthians i have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep i have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food i've been cold and naked and besides everything else i face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches and the greek word here merimna is the noun of the verb that jesus uses in our passage So similarly, you might be concerned about the spiritual well-being of your family and friends, even your own struggles with sin and your commitment to follow Christ and grow in his likeness. Well, there's nothing wrong with these worries, clearly. As the uh, theologian Don Carson puts it, none of these worries is purely selfish. Moreover, such concerns are essentially God-directed. That is, they they are the result of looking at things from God's perspective and seeking to ensure that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the absence of these wives would actually be a carefree irresponsibility that Jesus is certainly not advocating. So if Jesus isn't referring to anxiety disorders or concerns of a spiritual nature, well, what sort of worry is he concerned with? Well, to answer that question, we have to look at the context of these verses, of course. Basic rule of biblical Understanding. It made even more obvious by the first word in our passage, verse 25, therefore, we need to look at the previous passage. When and Jesus' injunctions not to worry follow from his previous denunciation of materialism, against storing up treasures on earth. Such possessions, he says, neither pay, they just don't last. Vermin eat them or they get stolen. And they don't satisfy. We become full of a terrible darkness. And Jesus finishes that previous passage with an invitation, really, to make a choice. A choice between two masters, God or money. And it's one or the other. It can't be both. So our passage today needs to be read in that context because it undergirds that choice. Here we have a contrast. A contrast between two masters and a contrast between two ways to live. And this morning we're going to look at one and then the other. And the first way is when money is our master. It's the world's way and it's characterized by worry. First half of verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Verse 32, for the pagans run after all these things. Words spoken 2,000 years ago, but they have such a contemporary ring, don't they? Because we do run after those things. And it's not just true of subsistence economies like those of the first century Palestine. At that time, if rains didn't come and the crops failed, then there was a real possibility you wouldn't have anything to drink or eat, and in time, no clothes either. And there are many places in the world today that are sadly like that. And yet, even our countries, among the most populous and prosperous in the world, people worry about these things. You just have to look at the colour supplements from the weekend paper. So in the Australian magazine, each week there is a section called Life, with subsections on wine, food and fashion. And even worse is its monthly magazine, Wish. I'll read the blur. Wish magazine is about the best of everything. It's for the savvy, intelligent people who are interested in fashion, world, travel, fine dining, fast cars, design, and architecture. It's about the quality of life. It delivers a lush and sumptuous reader experience as it showcases a range of highly desirable products and services. It seems we are obsessed with such products and services, consuming them, experiencing them, owning them, and more and more of them. Why this obsession? I think there are two key problems in the world's way. And the first is an identity that is self-made. A self-made identity. Listen to these words from... Mike Starkey from his book, Born to Shop. For today's youth and children, identity is not a given. It's something that we have to shape for ourselves. For children and teens today, the self is virgin territory, unhindered by tradition, conventional rules. We create an identity through the choices we make and the things we buy. Starkey argues that identity has been reduced to image, And if self-worth is rooted in nothing deeper than a well-presented image and the appreciation received from others, then it's easily destroyed, and that creates worry. And if you think that is just limited to children, then, then think again. According to Stasista, the international market research company, Australia spends more money on clothes per capita than any other country. The latest figures are $1,430 per person. And I've just quickly done the math, and that's about the same as our foreign aid budget. How much of that expenditure is driven by anxiety, by worry about what others think? Rather ironically, in the freedom we have to create our identity, we find ourselves trapped in the accepted customs of the space we've chosen for ourselves. The philosopher and atheist, Alan de Bouton, has identified this irony. He says, new modes of conformity arise as people turn themselves into brands through the consumer goods they buy. And it leaves people even more dependent on outside validation. He wrote this in his book called Status Anxiety. There's a whole package we feel we have to buy into. I couldn't possibly wear last season's color or style. I must upgrade my technology to the latest version. I have to have the right bike or car or house or holiday or body or spouse. What would other people think? What would they say of me? Worry, worry, worry. An identity that is self made is actually an illusion and it crushes us. So that's one problem. And the other problem is seeking for a security that is false. We see money as a way of being secure, having control of the uncontrollable. If you are of a certain age or a certain nationality, you'll recognise this man, Eric Morecambe, UK comedian, and national figure in England last century, very successful, earned a fortune, so much that he had plenty to retire on. And at the height of his career, he had a heart attack. And one of his friends said to him, Eric, why don't you slow down? To which he replied, I can't, I haven't got enough. Shortly afterwards, at the age of 58, he died on stage. What a tragic end. Many live for money, looking for things of this world for security. So they drive themselves, working all hours, accumulating wealth, so they continue to enjoy the good life, not just now, but in the future. But they never find the security they're looking for. They're always worrying, have I got enough? And if they're not worrying about themselves, they're worrying about their families. What drives your concerns for your children or grandchildren or nephews and nieces? Are they getting the right education so they can have the right job, so they can earn enough, so they can afford to live in a decent house in a nice area and support their children like we're trying to do for them? Worry, worry, worry. And it's no surprise that a society driven by materialism is seeing ever-rising levels of stress. The most recent research by the Australian Psychological Society, its key finding is this. Australians are faring worse than they were in 2011, when the survey began, reporting lower levels of well-being, higher levels of stress, depression and anxiety symptoms. And what's the biggest cause of stress? Financial issues, personal debt is the issue. The Australian Bureau of Statistics tell us that over the last 25 years, the average disposable income per head adjusted for inflation in Australia has risen by 60%. We're earning more than we have ever done. But in the same period, the household debt as a percentage of that income has risen on average, from 57% to 177%. I could show you a graph, but frankly, it would be too scary. Worry, worry, worry. That's the world's way. There is an alternative. It's God's way, and it's a way of trust. Worrying about food and drink and clothes is incompatible with faith in God. Verse 25 again, therefore I tell you do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? There's an implicit argument here in these verses. Jesus is saying if God has provided the greater, surely he will provide the lesser. If God has given the wonderful gift of life, then surely he will give us the food to sustain it. If he has given us our bodies, then surely he will give us the clothes to protect them. It will be for perverse of him not to. So don't worry about such things, he says. God will provide. And to underline the point, he gives two famous illustrations from nature. The first in verse 26, the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now clearly Jesus is not suggesting we should stop working. He's not saying that instead of going through the usual agricultural processes of sowing and reaping and harvesting, storing food, we should simply sort of sit back and, and let God do it for us. No, that's not the point because the birds are far from idle, are they? They work hard to find their food and yet it is still the Sovereign Lord who provides it for them. So surely we should trust Him to provide for us too well why what is the foundation of that trust again it's a matter of identity the key words in this verse are your heavenly father have you heard of this little ditty said the robin to the sparrow i should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so said the sparrow to the robin friend i think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me pagans rush around and worry their identity is self-made and the burden of that is crushing but the christian's identity is not self-made it's god given those who have faith in christ have a god-given identity they have a heavenly father they are children of God. God is actually just a creator to the birds, but to those who trust in Christ, he is their father. And if God, the creator, feeds the birds, then surely God, our father, will feed us. After all, are we not much more valuable than they? Jesus emphasises this point in his second illustration, verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet even, I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Just think of the wildflowers in the fields. Beautiful colours, create a rich tapestry. The finest clothes of even the wealthiest people look drab in comparison But these last just a few days. You are his children, Jesus says. Just imagine how he will look after you. Friends, being a child of God offers real security. Our Heavenly Father knows all our needs, verse 32. And he promises to meet them, verse 33. All these things will be given to you as well. It's because our identity is God given and not dependent upon us. It is totally secure. He loves me unconditionally. Whether I eat caviar or chips, whether I drink mother or moe, whether I buy my clothes from Paddy Campbell or Paddy's Markets, whether I'm chic, whether I'm cheap, whatever I look like, wherever I live, however much money, however little money, whatever others think of me, it doesn't matter. My identity is grounded in being a child of God. He is my Father. He loves me. That is real security. Oh yes, there will be trouble. Verse 34. Each day we'll deliver plenty of concerns. But we can hand them over to our loving Father. He knows all about them. And if He can deal with our present needs, surely He can meet our future ones too. That's such liberation in knowing God as our Father. Do you know that yourself? Jesus asked us a question today. He said, do you trust me? Have you come to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? We don't deserve a place in his family. None of us do, but he died for us. It is possible for us all to be forgiven, unconditionally accepted, if we trust in Christ. If we've done that, he is our father, we are his children. Now most of us here have done that. We have put our faith in Christ. And Jesus is asking us another question. He's saying, but do you really trust me? Do you really trust me? He says, I know you believe in me, but do you believe me when I say that your Heavenly Father will meet all your needs? Not your wants, but your needs. Or are you still worrying? I'm going to finish with two contrasting examples. First one from from my life. When I left my job as an accountant, I became a student minister here and I took a 96% pay cut. Now, understandably, someone very close to me, who loved me very much, was worried. How will you survive, he said? How will you feed your wife and child? And don't tell me your God will look after you. Oh, that's exactly what I was actually going to say. (laughs) Well, what would Jesus say to him? Verse 30, you of little faith. Contrast that lack of trust with the faith of this guy, Bishop Guide Makure. I met him in Zimbabwe where he leads a church in Harare. When I visited there to teach, he told me of a time of hyperinflation in Zimbabwe, in that country, in the sort of 90s and and noughties, Inflation peaked at wait for it, nine, sorry, 79.6 billion percent per month. Paul was talking about secure financial management. Don't, yeah, well there we are. Zimbabwean dollar worthless. Economy collapsed. Food production plummeted. Nothing to eat. No jobs to earn the money. One day he said there was nothing for his family to eat. So all day he was out looking for work to pay for some food and he couldn't get any and he came home empty-handed. None of his family had anything to eat all day. He had a wife and three kids about to go to bed hungry and there was a knock on the door. A member of his church was there with half a loaf of bread. The church in South Africa had trucked some bread in. This man had taken a loaf. He'd fed his family with half and given the other half to his pastor. That morning, Guy told me that as a family, they had sat down and they prayed the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. I like to remember when he told me this story, I was almost in tears, and he looked at me and smiled a great big, beaming smile and said the way Africans do, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Friends, that level of trust only comes from a personal, intimate knowledge of God as your Heavenly Father. But it's not a knowledge that stays up here, is it? It's a knowledge that captivates our hearts. It demands that he is number one in our lives, not ourselves. It's a knowledge that drives our behavior so that our lifestyles reflect his will and his character. Verse 33, seek first his kingdom, his rule over us. And his righteousness, our lives lived in obedience to him. And all these things will be given to you as well. And that should be the cure of our materialism. We don't have to run around for the things of the world. And that should be the antidote to our worries. Yes, we do what we need to do to get by. We do our day's work. But as we live our lives, we don't worry. We trust our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the privilege it is to address you, the God who made the universe in this intimate way. Help us to trust you as our Father, to live our lives knowing that we are loved and accepted by you, And do so in obedience of your will for us. For your name's sake. Amen.